in the publishing world, cookbooks are typically categorized as illustrated books. That's to say they have pictures that serve to engage and pull readers into the content. The pictures kind of play second fiddle to the words, like window dressing. Recipes, after all, are made up of words. But is that always necessary? Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the podcast for curious writers, readers, and cooks. This is Andrea Nguyen, and I am flying solo today. I write recipes first and foremost thinking about the words that best capture the actions, flavors, and sensations of cooking. But that's not what everyone does. Some people use fewer words and more pictures to make a full-blown graphic cookbook. I'm not talking porno, but I'm talking comic book style cookbooks. Michelle Tam, creator of Nom Nom Paleo, does something in between. She and her husband, Henry Fong, have produced a trilogy of powerhouse cookbooks that are loaded with step-by-step photos and comic book style illustrations of their family, which includes her sons, Owen and Ollie. There are words, but they are minimal. I marvel at how Michelle can cram all that information in. And at the end of the bookmaking line, you know what? I'm basically counting characters and column inches. But how the heck does she do what she does? I wanted to know. So I checked in with Michelle. Hey, Michelle, so glad to have you on Everything Cookbooks. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love this podcast and I'm learning so much. And clearly I'm doing the cookbook process all wrong. (laughs) That's not true. You're doing something right because you've had bestsellers and uh, people absolutely love you. And you have such an amazing social media presence and brand too. Well, thank you. But when I listened to your podcast, I was like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do it. Oh, that's how, well, that's what you're supposed to ask for because we clearly have not done the right way, but we've, we've done it. We've done our books the way that we've kind of wanted to make them. And maybe it's better that we don't know the right way to do it. I have to tell you, I feel the same way when I'm talking to my co-hosts. You know, because there's like, first of all, having um, grown up on the West Coast and also as um, an immigrant, I was a refugee and you're, you're, you know, the daughter of immigrants. And we grew up in more traditional families, you know, that didn't think about writing cookbooks as a potential career. Totally. I never thought, I I don't even know what I thought, but I I love cookbooks and I revered cookbook writers. Like I had all your cookbooks and I remember the first time I met you, I was like, that's Andrea Nguyen. I have her cookbooks. This is so crazy. And I just never thought that I could, I could be one myself. It wasn't an option. Like I, I just didn't think I could do it. Yeah. And how do you get into that industry? Because, you know, in the Bay Area where you grew up and in Southern California, where I grew up, the publishing industry was just wasn't there. So you didn't know. You didn't know that you needed to be in New York. You didn't know that you needed to know certain people. You just were like, I don't know. I'd like to do this. But you collected cookbooks because you have a lot of cookbooks. I see them in your Instagram feed all the time in your kitchen. Yeah, I'm a hoarder of cookbooks. And so I've always loved them. And I, I didn't always cook out of them. I just love them as almost like to learn out of and as like art 
and I would, and I love food and I loved eating. And so I would just look at cookbooks, but I wouldn't necessarily cook out of them because I love eating more than cooking, which I think is a big surprise for many people. Um, but when I started eating like paleo, I was like, oh, I have to start cooking for myself and let me figure out how to do it. And so that's, that's kind of how I came about it. And I've always loved food blogs. So that was another thing. I love cookbooks and I love food blogs, but I never thought that I could create anything new um, or novel. But when I went paleo, I was like, oh, maybe I could do a paleo food blog because that's something that's not really there. And I didn't think anyone was going to read it. I just was writing it for myself. Um, and it was a Tumblr blog. And at the time, I was working as a night shift pharmacist. So I would just write about what I was bringing to work and cooking before I went to work. And I would swear all the time because I didn't think anyone was reading it. And I had small children, so I couldn't swear in real life. <laughs> and eventually, I was like, oh, I have to come up with recipes. Or I have to cook something. And at first, I was just kind of modifying people's recipes. And then I realized, oh, you can't really do that. You have to make sure there's like proper credit and all this stuff. And so I did all sorts of stuff wrong initially. And then I just started creating my own recipes. But even then, I didn't even know how to write a recipe properly. I didn't, even though I had all these cookbooks, I didn't realize like the order of the ingredients has to be in the order that it's used in the recipe and like from biggest to smallest and all this stuff. I just didn't know. And then I actually took a, a food writing continuing education class at Stanford from Tori Ritchie while I was working nights because I was blogging. And I was like, oh, I should actually learn how to do things properly. And that was a very eye-opening experience because I was like, I had no idea. I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. <laughs> Tori is really, really great. I've, yeah. I've spoken in her class before and that uh, particular class at Stanford Extension is excellent. Mm -hmm. um, but but let's back up a little bit because in your latest book, uh, Nom Nom Paleo, Let's Go, in the introduction, you mentioned that you grew up in a family. Your, your parents are from Hong Kong mm -hmm. and you described um, your family as being Wysak. Is that the correct pronunciation? Wysak. Yeah. Like it's almost like your reason for being is eating. And I think that is that is me in a nutshell and, and my whole family. Like we just love to eat and I love figuring out where to eat and I just enjoy it so much. And your and your sister Fiona became a chef and you decided to um, be a drug pusher as a pharmacist, mm -hmm. as you mm -hmm. <laughs> described yourself when I first I met was. you. Yeah, I, I called myself a zombie drug dealer because I used to work the night shift at Stanford Hospital as the hospital pharmacist. And people were like, why would you work nights? I was like, I liked working nights because I knew what my schedule was. I'd work seven nights on and be and have seven nights off. But then I could totally schedule when our restaurant reservations were because otherwise my schedule was too crazy. And this way I was like, oh, I can always plan where we're going to eat. I can plan trips really easily. And so that's kind of why I, I had that schedule and I had the job. I mean, I liked my job a lot and I love the people I work with, but it was not my passion. So your your job supported your YSEC lifestyle? A hundred percent. Yes. I did my job, but I was like, okay, as soon as my shift was done, I'd hand my pager over because it's back when we had pagers um, to the next pharmacist coming on in the morning. And I'd be like, oh, you know what? I can think about cooking and eating and I started my blog, you know, while I was working as a night shift pharmacist because I had all this extra time. But yeah, definitely my job 
was not my passion, but it helped fuel my passion. It paid for expensive restaurant trips. <laughs> so my first job out of college was as a federal bank examiner. It sounds really boring. And it, it was. I was terrible at accounting. So that was not the job for me. <laughs> but I always think back, like, you know, whatever I studied in college, even though it was like the safest thing, you know, all this accounting, business contracts and crap, it helped me in my writing career. Mm -hmm. So I feel like with your pharmacy background, how did that feed into your recipe writing and your cookbook creation process? So definitely, I think it helps because I'm very meticulous in terms of like recipe testing and I weigh and measure everything really accurately just so it can be replicated over and over again. So I think that, and I think that you just have to be precise. And I think sometimes I need to like back off a little bit because I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask for a certain amount of something, but I know in real life people will just have like one carrot or two carrots, but then I'm like, but carrots are totally different sizes. But then I'm like, but really, does it matter? like what size of carrot is. So I, I, there are times when I have to like say, okay, for this particular recipe, it's not a big deal if they have a big carrot or little carrot. So you can just specify one carrot. But then if I'm doing some sort of like paleo dessert recipe, I do actually give weight measurements because, you know, baking is always really tricky and it's a type of science. And especially if you're replacing like wheat flour with kind of all these weird non-traditional flours and you need to actually measure it out. That's how things work. I mean, you know, I think of recipes as being, they're prescriptive. Mm -hmm. They've got instructions, but you yeah. know that not everyone, and people are going to, you know, self-medicate, like self-dose. You know, they're going to yes. just like do whatever with, yes. with what you suggest. So yeah, it's like, I, I go through that all, all the time. I'm like, oh, I know what, you know, how much a medium carrot weighs for me. And when mm -hmm. I look at the bin at the grocery store, there are a lot of large carrots, but maybe at that time the, the cook will go, well, those are all mediums to me because that's all I see. Yeah. I have to let go. I'm like, no, this is okay. They can went, it could be a large onion or a small onion. It won't make a difference. <laughs> that's right. Sometimes it does make a difference. But anyway, we yeah. <laughs> So the other thing I was taken uh, by in Nom Nom Paleo Let's Go is where you say that every cookbook is a time capsule and it's it captures a moment. How did the pandemic shape what you chose to prepare and put into the book in terms of recipes? I probably was more gentle and kinder because, you know, the pandemic was a crazy, it continues to be a crazy time. Like I think post, I mean, is it even post pandemic right now? We went into it because we had told our publisher we were going to write something, I think, at the end of 2019. We finally were like, okay, we're ready to do our next cookbook. So I had a list of recipes that I was going to like do for our newest book. But then when pandemic hit, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to change things up a lot. <laughs> and we can because, you know, Henry and I kind of do everything ourselves and our editor does edit us. But she gives us kind of free reign and she trusts us to do what we're going to do. But after all of the stuff with the racial reckoning and George Floyd and the Asian hate, I was like, you know what? I am going to truly center this book on foods that I loved growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a melting pot of all of these immigrant cultures. I'm really going to lean in to kind of like the hashtag very Asian. 
you know, even though a lot of my audience probably isn't Asian. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know what, these are foods that make me happy that I loved that I miss because I'm number one paleo number two, because I can't see my family and I can't travel. And so it was just foods that I loved eating and I wanted to share with my family. Yeah, I mean, how do you, you say, well, most of your, your followers are not Asian, but there are a lot of more Asian recipes in this book than, mm-hmm. than any others. And then you also had to kind of like fit them into this special diets mold. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've written in a restrictive dietary manner in the past when I had a column with Cooking Light magazine. It was like low sodium, low fat, low sugar, low everything. But you're like paleo keto, Whole30, and a lot of other things that I probably can't even like enunciate. Um, How did you then, you know, have these recipes that reflect your heritage and then retrofit them into these diets? I don't eat like paleo because I want to like lose weight or because of some fad diet. We joked about how the title was going to be called Nom Nom Paleo-ish. Because like when people see me in real life, they're like, wait, why are you eating that? That's not paleo. I'm like, well, I'm only paleo on the internet. And I joke about that. But in real life, I mean, it's it's where I, I eat mostly paleo because that's how I feel the best. But I think everyone should eat however however makes them feel the best, right? And everybody's different. Everybody has different genetics. So my whole thing is I want you to cook your own meals and figure out what works for you. And so for this book, we made sure we kind of labeled everything so that, you know, if you are Whole30, I mean, everything is gluten-free and dairy-free, but if you're Whole30 or you are keto, like these are some options. Or if you're nightshade-free, like you can easily see if this recipe fits in. But, you know, you don't have to be super strict, but I know that some people have to be super strict for health reasons or whatever reasons they choose. And so all of my recipes do fit into the paleo template. But I'm totally okay with people eating my food with like rice or regular pasta or whatever. I just want them to cook their own meals. But I do eat this way. And so that's why my recipes are Whole30 or Paleo or whatever, because that's just, those are the pantry items I have. And your kids are good with that. That's like the amazing thing. You know, it's not just you and Henry driving the bus, but your kids are on the bus as well. They have to eat what I cook for dinner. That's probably... (laughs) (laughs) More so than they're on the bus. Like, I think that they're sometimes like, ah. But I I do think now, especially now that they're teenagers, they realize that they do feel better when they eat what I'm cooking as opposed to when they're out with their friends. Or they can see that some of their friends don't feel as great as they do because they may eat things that don't agree with them. So I think if anything, we're just trying to teach our kids to pay attention to how food makes them feel and make smart choices. But once they're out of the house, I expect them to kind of do, I mean, obviously you raise your kids so they can, you know, kind of fly the coop and you hope they kind of, you kind of give them the correct building blocks to do that. But yeah, I don't know that my kids are like, yay, we're eating paleo. But I think they, they realize, oh, this is a home cooked meal and it tastes good. And I feel, I feel good after. You, Henry, Ollie and Owen are characters in your books. Mm -hmm. Henry has these really wonderful illustrations of all of you and, and, you know, speech bubbles, and you're saying snarky things to one another as a family. And that's what I think is so 
fascinating and fun about the Nom Nom Paleo cookbooks is that it's a family that travels through this adventure of eating and cooking. So when you are writing your recipes, how do you configure the words with the photos, with the illustrations? How does that come together? So all of our recipes have step-by-step pictures. And so I come up with the recipe first. So I will create a recipe and I'll test it and test it. And then I'll write it in the steps that I think are important for Henry to shoot a picture. And so then normally we'll say, like after I've tested my recipe a bunch of times and it's ready, then we'll have a day where we'll shoot all the pictures and then we'll shoot the pictures. And because it's already written out and we know what our shot list is, Henry captures that. And then afterwards, Henry does all of the design in terms of layout the cartoons and the funny jokes and stuff, but the jokes and the cartoons are kind of the last part of it. So the recipes and the photos are laid out, but throughout the year, like throughout the year, Henry's always kind of collecting funny things that the kids say, um, because everything that's in the book that the kids are saying, or I'm saying is something that has been said in the house before, because we're a house full of weird jokes and, and stuff. And so He's always just recording it on his phone. And if he knows that he has, if we have a cookbook coming up, he collects a bunch of these. But we purposely put little cartoons of the kids. And we also have it where the kids are like, ew, gross, this doesn't look good. Just because kids probably would say the same thing. And we want kids to see that it's okay to think something looks weird, but you can try it and maybe you'll like it. And I think kids like seeing I mean our books are secretly designed to appeal to kids I mean what like with the primary colors and the step-by-step pictures and the cartoons and the fact that our kids are in it are just so kids can see hey it can be totally normal to be interested in cooking and to eat home-cooked meals and so that's what we do no that is really something that I find endearing. And I love that because, you know, I, I don't have kids and definitely I grew up cooking and being my mom's little kitchen slave, you know, and um, <laughs> I, mean, I got a lot of practice from that. But certainly I think that if, if there are pictures and cartoons of kids and kids' hands and smiles and stuff, then that is extremely relatable. And you guys are a family too. So it's like this entire journey of not just you, Michelle, and not just you and, and Henry, but but all four of you in the book. Do you think you could have made that come across as well if you didn't have as many of the photos or and, and cartoons? I don't think so. I think a big part of the appeal of our books is the visual aspect of it. And I do think that is something, and and obviously it has our personality in there as well. But I think without the visuals, it's, I mean, I think you could still probably get a sense of who we were if, if, if it was just words and not as many pictures. But I do think what makes our cookbooks fun are the funny little cartoons. And I think it just makes it more relatable. You obviously know cookbooks deep and well. When Food for Humans came out in 2013, that's your first volume of Nom Nom Paleo, were there any other comparable cookbooks? That were, I think that photo heavy? I don't really think so. 
But even our first book, it wasn't quite the design that we had wanted. Like it was our first cookbook and we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know if we were ever going to have another one after the first cookbook. But I think with the second cookbook, we really did want to kind of hone in on the comic book format where it was like a picture for every step, but also a caption within each photo and to throw more cartoons kind of throughout the book. Um, And again, as our whole goal is kind of secretly design it for kids. And so all that, plus me as a reluctant cook, we kind of put all that together as, you know, the why behind our recipe format. So, so the choice in terms of that format is inspirational to you to get Michelle to make dinner every day. Yes, for sure. If it, I mean, I, I, again, at the same time, I do love like the old school cookbooks, like Julia Child, where it's like she has amazing prose and everything is so descriptive, like down to how things sound when you cut into it, that, that kind of beautiful stuff, which is great. But realistically, as a cook, sometimes I just want to see something right away and see if it's something that I want to make, as opposed to having to read <laughs> like a really beautifully written essay to kind of figure out if I want to make something. But it, you know, it could also be a sign of the times, like, you know, we're so with Instagram and, and you know, our phones and our pocket being able to show us everything, um, you know, in a few seconds, you just need something to kind of grab your attention quickly. And that may also influence the design of our cookbook. <laughs> they are completely attention grabbing. Hopefully. I mean, that's our goal is we want kids to just see it on a coffee table and say, wow, what is this? And flip it open and start looking through the recipes and get excited to cook with their parents. Because even if you're little, like you can at least point to, you know, steps one, two, three, four. And then as you get older, you can actually start cooking it uh, by yourself. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about head notes. Sometimes you have head notes and sometimes you don't. When do you, Michelle Tam, decide to have a headnote in your recipes? You know, what's interesting is because we don't kind of submit a manuscript, like a Word document of all of our recipes to someone, and then they, you know, correct it all, and then they design it and photograph it after, like we kind of do it as we go. And so it's sometimes it's up to what space is available, because there's so many photos and so many cartoons and kind of graphical elements. Sometimes there's no place for a headnote. Or we'll put it as almost like an afternote, like on a picture, like there might be a hero image at the end and there might be a little caption about it, which would typically be a headnote. I think sometimes the headnote is needed when there's less pictures in books to kind of sell the recipe because you can't see it. But I think in our book, because we have so many pictures and you can kind of see right away if this is potentially something that might appeal to you to make, that we don't necessarily need the headnote at the beginning. But in reality, it's also how much space Henry has for a <laughs> headnote in the book. Yeah, no, because I saw that, you know, um, there are headnotes for the tikka masala, the chicken mm-hmm. velvet and, and spinach soup, the scallion pancakes. But there's none for salmon niçoise. And then I was like, well, people understand what the salmon niçoise is. Yeah. So that is also, I think, taken into account where I think, you know, we, we normally have some sort of little blurb about the recipe, probably not at the, at the beginning. But those are for recipes that I think are more familiar to people. Like I think most people know. I mean, it's normally a t- tuna niçoise, but, you know, you can make it with salmon. And But I think... 
other recipes they're like oh what is this like what does it mean like a chicken velvet you know soup and I've never seen this before and so that's when I'm like okay here's a little blurb about this recipe and why I like it or why I find it important or you know where it comes from or or something that I think would sell it more than just the picture if if people are unfamiliar with the recipe and even if they saw it they'd be like I don't know what that is I don't know if I want to make it but really, it's a matter of space. <laughs> <laughs> it's always it's always down in the space. And so for every single how-to photo, mm-hmm. how many words, how many characters do you get? Because it's a very small amount of space in each one of those. Yes, it's very specific. Henry wants me to be as concise as possible because it has to fit in a little, like a little rectangle that's above the photo. And we also want to make it so that you don't have to keep on flipping pages, you know, even though there are so many photos. And so if you do have to flip the page, it should be at a point where it makes sense. And then those subsequent pages actually have to have the amounts of the ingredients listed. So you don't have to flip back to the ingredient section. We just have to be as brief as possible. And there are many times when he's laying stuff out. He's like, okay, this sentence is going to be turned to this. Is this okay? Like, I'm going to shrink it. I'm like, okay, that should work. But because we are more photo heavy than text heavy, like the picture should help you figure out if the words are brief. You're limited by how many pictures can go onto each page because there's just only some. So that's standardized. Well, Henry had different templates for each recipe. So he had like different, like if it's a seven step recipe versus like a six or sometimes they're like 12 or 15 or 18. And so that changes what the picture and the size of the picture. So he's, he had something figured out where he's like, okay, this is going to be a nine step recipe. So that means you have more room to write things or whatever, whatever it was. I just said, okay, Henry, whatever works. We'll figure it out. So, so how do the recipes then fit into your website? And then you also have an app. So the recipes on the app and blog, I mean, I still love the recipes we put on the blog and app, but that's kind of a weekly thing. And they're not necessarily like my, like the ones that I've worked on for many, many iterations. But at the same time, a lot of my best recipes come from the blog and then I put them in the books because nobody knows what's going to happen with the internet one day. And I'd like it somewhere permanent. And it's hard too, because like with the blog, people will give me instant feedback. So I do have to have high quality recipes on the blog because people tell me right away if they don't work or they hate it. So I think of the blog and app as similar content, but the books are something different and special because we throw so much into it. And there's like that specific kind of comic book format. And it's a lot more personal where we can put in a lot of stories about us and why certain recipes are important to us. Whereas on the blog, like now you have to worry about SEO and and all this other stuff that makes it less about us as like a family. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's less storytelling. Yeah. Because there are, are certain bloggers out there where they're just very happy blogging. And, you know, you are providing this continuum from the virtual to the bound. But then there's also the app. 
And I've wondered about that. There are some people, you know, who will open up a book and they're like, "Ah, I've seen that recipe before on so-and-so's blog. I don't want to buy that book. And (laughs) yeah, I've I've obviously heard that many times. Um, Or people will say, like all the recipes are on the blog anyway. I'm like, no, they aren't. The highlights are. I think in our all our books, maybe 20% or less is like kind of like the highlight recipes from the blog. But I, I do think our books are really kind of our favorite and our best stuff. Whereas the stuff on the blog, like, and you can always change the stuff on the blog. And like, we're always kind of fiddling with things now just because you, know, you have to worry about SEO which I never knew about until just a few years ago. And even now, I don't really understand search engine optimization. But I feel like in the book, it's not about SEO terms or naming it a certain way so people can find it. It just is the stuff that I really want to put in my books. Yeah, it's a creative process. And a book will always be different than a website. A website can be self-curated, but in a book, the author's present the material for you. You never know what you'll come up with or come up against when you turn the page. And that's the adventure of a book. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about the adventure of working with your husband as your designer, your art director, and sometimes your editor. And everyone should know that that Henry is a lawyer by day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's a very busy daytime job. And his, you know, his night and weekend gig is working on Nom Nom Paleo and all the kind of graphics and the photos and design. Um, and he is, he's a really great editor. He's a much better writer than I am. He understands my voice well enough so that he can edit to sound like me. And in terms of working together, we joke that because I worked nights for 12 years, while we were married, I was like, that's why our marriage has survived because for half the time I wasn't even around. But I think the truth is we've known each other a long time. We met as freshmen in college. I think we we are good at different things and we care about different things very passionately. Like Henry cares about like how things look. I don't really care. Like I, I trust him. And then I care about the recipes tasting really good. And he doesn't care about that part. And he lets me do whatever I want. And he kind of trusts me to pick the types of recipes I want to develop. And so I think what's good is we allow each other to do the things that we're good at. And, you know, we support each other in that way. Has he ever pushed you or nudged you or edited your recipe in a manner that you didn't like? <laughs> Husbands um, do that. Not necessarily that, but what he'll do is he will push me to create recipes that I wouldn't necessarily want to make. And when I say that, it's because I'm really lazy. And so there's certain ones I don't want to do because I know it'll just take too much time. And it's not something that I'll nail on the first few tries. And so I just don't want to even attempt it. So he was the one who was like, I think you can make a paleo pot sticker. And I'm like, I don't think so. I really don't think I can. And I don't want to attempt it. He's like, no, I really think you can. He kept on saying this to me. And then finally, one of my readers was like, you know, I used your scallion pancake dough and I was able to make a paleo pot sticker that worked really well. And I was like, oh, really? You were able to like do the steam pan frying method. It didn't get all weird and gross. And she's like, no. And I was like, huh, maybe I'll try it now. And so I told Henry, I was like, hey, I think I'm going to use that scallion pancake dough and kind of rejigger it to make pot stickers. And he's like, I've been telling you this for five years. I'm like, yeah, you have. And that's why I was thinking about it. But 
someone else <laughs> actually tried it. And so now I know that I can probably be done. And he also was the one that was like, you should really attempt to do a paleo Don Tot. And I was like, no way. I really don't want to do that. He's like, no, I think you could do it. I think you could kind of, you know, it's kind of shortbready. And so like, if you're trying to do the Don Tot crust, that's not like a puff pastry and you're trying to do more like a short crust, you can probably use like your galette one and kind of like fudge that a little. And so then I was like, okay, fine. And now he's trying to make me do like a paleo, like baked tasubao. And he keeps on, like, he's really good about not telling me overtly to do something. He'll just say, you know, your mom can probably make a really great tasubao. So there's just a little way. Oh, man. <laughs> and that's like guilting, guilt and shame. Asian well, guilt and it's, shame. It's, just, it's not so much guilt and shame. It's just like silent nudging until I'm like, okay, okay. And then eventually I will. So now I still, I have this idea. I should probably make a baked tasubao. But I haven't actually, but it'll happen probably in this next year, just because it's, it's been it's, slowly. That's a tough one. Yeah, I think so too. That's why I haven't really tried it. Yeah. No, I was very impressed that in the book you had, you know, your scallion pancake and then the pot sticker. But the ultimate, like, you know, triumph was the egg tart, the don tot. Yeah, that was really I was hard. like, damn. That was really <laughs> hard to do. And then I had to share it with my parents who are super picky and they're not paleo at all. Except now they actually have, in the last year, they, they both kind of went paleo and they feel so much better. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I'm like, wow, I've only been talking about it for 12 years, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Don Tot, when I gave it to my parents and I had them come, like, hey, what do you think of, obviously this is not the real thing, but here, why don't you try it? And they're like, this is not bad. And so that to me, because my parents are not very effusive, that I was like, I think this might work. Yeah. You know, don't you just love that about parents They're, You know, it's almost like damning with faint praise, but they're really praising you yes. when they go, yes. this isn't that bad. Yeah, it's, this is well, not bad. This is not bad for paleo. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I've had similar things with my mom, too, where she's like, you know, that's that's all right. You know, give me the recipe. <laughs> that is the ultimate compliment. Yes. When I was like, wow, really? Okay. I'm not going to say anything, but inside I'm just like jubilant. You mentioned in the closing of Let's Go that this may be your final book. Is that true? <laughs> um, a lot of people have brought that up. I feel like after every cookbook, I'm like, I'm done. Is it like birthing? Like <laughs> it, is, it is, right? You have to have amnesia. Um, but we are totally into, like our family is really into like, trilogies and so to do a fourth is kind of like and the four is really bad as like for Cantonese speakers it's like bad luck and so you have to do three or six you know five, um, five is a good number in Vietnamese culture oh, so you can go hit five yeah you can hit five but I can't do just one more so I don't I don't know right now I'm not thinking about another book and I don't know I mean I never know what's going to happen a paleo could be the fad diet that dies. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. I mean, I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I enjoy doing it. And it's fun. Um, but I don't know. It could be. It could be the last one. So everyone has to go buy it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not paleo. I'm not keto. I'm not Whole30. But I really love the book because all your books, they teach me something and pull me out of my comfort zone because I don't write necessarily to a restrictive diet, 
but I do, you know, want to write tasty, healthy recipes. And sometimes those kinds of confines help us be more creative. You've shared so much of your generous talents and insights today. And I thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, thank you. I mean, that coming from you, that's huge because I've been a huge admirer of yours forever. And I love that we can chat about food now as friends. Friends and colleagues. So thank you so very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything Cookbooks. If you have questions or comments, send us a message at everythingcookbooks.com. If you happen to send us a voice recorded question, we'll try to answer in a future episode. Much gratitude to our editor, Abby Circatella. And if you got a second to spare, leave us a review wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep on writing, reading, and cooking.